Welcome to Divas Are Frugal, the podcast. Hello to all of the new listeners and hey to everybody who is coming back. Thank you for listening. Um, today we're going to be discussing a couple of things. I'm going to be doing things a little bit differently, right? So, okay, starting off, Divas Are Frugal, the website and the brand is basically it's a website that empowers women to reach for their best, reach their fullest potential without settling for less or breaking the bank. And this podcast was started because I wanted to give content in a different form because not everybody likes to, um, you know, read, you know, they don't have time and stuff like that. And they would rather look at video or listen to things on a podcast, listen to audio. So when I started this, if you go back, you're going to um, hear episodes where I strictly just discuss an article or a blog that I've written on my website and I'm giving it to you in audio form. Now, we're still going to do that, but I'm going to do that and just add a little, you know, a little other spices up in there with it. On today's episode, we are going to talk about emotional spending. So that's the meat of this um, podcast is emotional spending. And, you know, before that, we're going to get into, you know, some things that have been going on around the Internet. We're going to talk about the whole Oprah, Gail, and Ava auntie situation. Um, And we're going to discuss, like, is personal finance a scam? That's a question that was kind of put out there. Um, And and I'm going to kind of discuss what I've been doing, like, where I've been. So let's get started. Okay, let's get started with me first. I'm not going to bore you all and go into like really, really specific details, but I'm going to try to make this quick. Um, This year has been very interesting, to say the least. I know we're only halfway through the year, but it's been interesting. Health-wise, has uh, health has been up and down. Um, Not anything like super, super crazy, just new things for me. So... Had some things going on, and my doctor got the ball rolling with me seeing certain specialists and stuff like that, and it resulted in some studies being done, which then resulted in me going to um, another doctor, another specialist, which resulted in me having my first surgery, and I kind of underestimated the surgery. It was like real quick. I went to the specialist. I'm thinking, oh, and I'm going to go in, go to this appointment. It's going to be real quick, Right. And then, like, at the end of the appointment, he was like, oh, you have to have surgery. What? And then he explained it. And I'm like, what? (laughs) It was like a throat expansion surgery, right? So I forget the name of that part of the surgery. But that's the main part of the surgery that I had. And on top of that, I had to get my tonsils and adenoids removed. But the main part was the expansion part. And I was like, whoa, what are you talking about, sir? What? Like, I was not expecting that at all, so that bomb got dropped. Um, Had the surgery, <clears throat> and they say this, you know, just getting your tonsils and stuff out, period, when you're an adult, they say it's really serious, and it's, it's not the greatest recovery, right? Cool. But having that on top of having the expansion part was um, even worse, <laughs> And my recovery was probably, it was eight weeks, really. Um, It was two hard weeks. And then after that, the other weeks were kind of, they were okay. 
but I was still having little things, you know, little issues here and there. I still wasn't 100% myself. And it seemed like as soon as I got to be 100% from that, other stuff started happening. So even down to last week, my butt was sick again. Crazy. And I still have, um, I went to the doctor yesterday as a follow-up from that surgery. And that resulted in me having to go next month for something they think that is going on that's unrelated to that surgery. Crazy. So all that happened. So I've been kind of like, you know, going through all this medical stuff off and on. I will say if you have insurance, use it. If you feel like something is going on with you um, that's not right or could be better or whatever, be persistent with your doctors, get tested, do what you got to do, um, get studies done, do all of that stuff, use that insurance and, you know, get well because health is very important and you have to be healthy to do anything that you want to do in this life. So I will... That's you know, a public service announcement. Use your insurance, okay? And I don't like seeing them insurance, the, um, not insurance bills, the doctor's bills, just like you don't like seeing them. But, hey, I just look at it like, okay, I have insurance. Thank the Lord. I don't have to pay the original payment. I just have to pay the, um, the original fee. I just have to pay, you know, the discounted fee from the insurance. So that's that. Outside of that, um, I have been traveling a tad bit. Um, me and my husband went on a cruise. We try to do a cruise every year, but so far we missed two years, but we went on one to Mexico in the Cayman Islands early the first week in June. And it was fun. So, so much fun. I cannot wait to go on my next cruise. Like it was that much fun. Let's get into what I am reading. Currently, I am still reading No Excuses by Brian Tracy. Um, I should be done with that book, but I'm not. So I need to finish it. But so far, so good. And then I am listening to, through Audible, on The Come Up by Angie Thomas. And Angie Thomas wrote The Hate You Give, which is also a movie. And there will be a movie for On The Come Up, if I'm not mistaken. So I wanted to listen to, I love The Hate You Give. Love the audio book. Like I was in love with that book, right? And I listened to that book also. And then I went and saw the movie. And it was a good movie. But if you've read the book or if you've listened to the audio book, then the movie did not do the book justice. I don't know. Maybe that was just me. But I'm a firm believer in the books always being better than the movie across the board for like whatever movie it is, right? So I am listening to On the Come Up and I'm not done with that yet. I've been kind of listening off and on to that book. And there was another audio book I was listening to through Scribed, but I cannot think of it right now. I see the cover in my face, but I cannot think of it right now, the name of it. So that's what I'm reading. Now, movies that I've watched, um, Crazy Rich Asians. I watched that movie. Now, that is a book that turned into a movie also. I have the book on Audible. I never got a chance to read the book. I heard great things about the movie when it came out, but I just kind of forgot about it all. My husband watched it and told me about it. So then we watched it together. So um, 
I really don't want to read the book now because I have now watched a movie already. But what I think I will do is read the follow-up. It's a trilogy, so I'll read the follow-up books so that when those movies come out, you know, I've already did what I needed to do. But the uh, movie was really, really good. It was funny. Um, it was cute. Really good movie. The next, um, it's not a movie. It's more of a series. But the Central Park Five on Netflix, great, great, great series. It's a four-part series on Netflix. And the Central Park Five are five black men at the time, boys, um, that were basically put in jail for um, supposedly, allegedly, raping and beating a woman who was jogging in Central Park. So they went to jail for that and were in there for more than four years, all of them. And eventually, years later, they were um, all those charges, they were erased of all those charges and the movie just really talks about, you know, what happened the night of, you know, the case and their life afterwards. So a little bit of their life afterwards. So it was really, really good, like really good. I actually watched it while I was packing for um, my trip and it was good. Episode four will like that episode was like the best episode and I was literally like sitting up in the bed, just I couldn't pause. I couldn't do anything. Now, in the first episode, I paused a couple of times because I started like looking up articles and stuff. Because when you are watching this, it just seems unreal. Like they really did that? Like what? Like, no, that didn't happen or whatever. So I'm like pausing to look up stuff because I just need to see like, did it really go down like this? And yeah. It really did. So that is a really good series. If you have not seen it, I say definitely um, sit down and watch it. Now, if you need to like listen or watch something, you know, that's funny or lighthearted, this is not it at all. So you have to be ready emotionally to sit and watch it. But I say definitely, um, you know, give it a watch. So, you know, I am definitely into paper and pen when it comes to budgeting, but I have been, you know, venturing out a little bit more. Now, Mint.com, I've used Mint, well, I started using Mint probably before I started Divas Are Frugal. I think, yeah, I did. Before I started Divas Are Frugal, I was using Mint, right? But I kind of got away from that and just really stuck to the pen and paper, and then I started using every dollar. I use the free version, not the paid version. And I like that because it kind of, it goes hand in hand with my um, pen and paper budget. And I'm now taking it up a notch and I'm using the, I'm using You Need a Budget, YNAB. You Need a Budget. They have an app and they have um, a website. I use the website way more than I use the app. So I've been testing it out. Um, I'm doing it for myself. And really seeing if that's something that I want to use for the long haul. People swear by you need a budget. Like, people love it. But eventually, I'm more than likely, I will be doing a review on it and kind of comparing it to Mint and comparing it to Every Dollar and the good old paper budget. Now, outside of that, also with finances, um, I, I have been trying to make sure 
that I'm making good like business financial decisions. Having a business, you know, there are courses that come up, materials that come up, so many things that we need or feel we need or whatever. And so I have been just trying to make sure that I'm making like sound decisions. Like, is this really going to help me? Am I really going to use it? What exactly do I need it for? Do I need it now or can I wait and get it later? Those type of things. And um, going back to personal, I have been just really going over needs and wants, like needs versus wants, you know, with certain things. Like when I'm getting things, do I need this versus this? Like, yes, I'm going to buy the product, but even within buying the product, what really do I need versus what I want, you know? So I've really been um, thinking about those things when I'm making purchases and thinking about it more than usual, I should say. So that is all about me. That is my summary over the last, um, what, six months? (laughs) I didn't expect it to be this long of a summary, but I guess I did try to like put half of a year Um, I was trying to do it in like five minutes, but that didn't work. But anyway, let's move along. So let's talk about auntie, sis, and cousins. Okay. So this whole Oprah, Gail, and Ava situation, um, it started because Ava DuVernay, she was on, I hope I said her last name correctly. Excuse me if I didn't, but she was on Van Lathan's podcast And they were talking and it came up about her being called um, auntie. And so she's quoted as saying, auntie Ava, why? Am I that old? Because I don't feel that old. And it's not a respect thing. Auntie Ava, like aunt Jamama. So that was her, you know, thing. And then it kind of blew up a little bit on the internet. No, it didn't blow up then. It was after, I guess, Oprah picked it up and she put it in her... She put it in Oprah Magazine, or at least definitely on the website, and the article came out, then it kind of blew up. But Oprah is quoted as saying, I cringe at being called auntie or mama by anybody other than my nieces or godchildren. Except if I'm in Africa, where it is custom for everyone to, or everybody, to refer to anyone older as sister or auntie, depending on the age difference. And there, no one refers to anybody older by their first name out of respect. And then Gail says, I get that it's a sign of respect, but no one is calling Beyonce Auntie Beyonce. So when I got, you know, whiff of this whole thing, I was like, what? I just didn't get it. And I didn't get it from a standpoint, I guess, when I think of Auntie so-and-so, like Auntie Oprah or whatever. I think of it as a respect thing, as a thing where I connect with you in some sort of way where it's like we family, you're that extended family to be like Auntie so-and-so. So for them to take this and make it like, oh, Aunt Jamama, like who is even thinking about that? Like what? Or making it seem like it's an old person. Like, no, that's not it. And I really think that majority of the culture who uses this and stuff like that, that's not the case. And even with Oprah, when she's saying, um, 
she talks about Africa and that it's custom there. Like, okay, where do you think that African-Americans get it from? You know, like it is a cultural thing. And so it's kind of the same thing, but it seems like for her, it's okay in Africa because that's what they do, but that's not what they do here. So I was like, okay, I don't understand that. And then for Gail to come in talking about nobody calls, um, says Auntie Beyonce. Well, no, because she would be more like Sid. The, the culture that uses that language or the age group that uses the, uses this language right now, Beyonce wouldn't be called Auntie. She would actually be called, you know, sis or cousin or something like that. It wouldn't be Auntie unless they're like a lot younger and they're using the terms or whatever in that manner. So... That whole situation was just like, what? I don't get it. But on the other end, I do know that sometimes when terms like sis and even sometimes until whatever, they can be used in a negative way. But at the end of the day, it's all about the connotation and you know, just in what form that is used, if it's, you know, okay or not. I know with me even growing up, before I moved to Georgia, I would just call adults by their first name and it was okay. Like it was acceptable. Like, oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so, whatever. No issue. As long as I wasn't disrespectful when I said their names or whatever, right? But then when I moved to Georgia, it was miss this, miss that, miss this. And if you didn't say Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, it was just like, you about to get slapped. So it's just different. So it's different. It's different strokes for different folks, really. But for Oprah, Gail, and Ava, I would definitely say do not call them Auntie Oprah, Auntie Gail, Auntie Ava. Just call them by their names. And that goes for other people, too, who just don't like it. You know, don't call them that. It's simple. Just use their first names and keep it moving. Is the personal finance industry a scam? Well, some people think that it is. So uh, again, on the internet, on GQ.com, there was an article that came out last week. And the title is, The Personal Finance Industry is a Scam. So, of course, it's created conversation and, you know, people were agreeing with this article and saying that, you know, they felt like it was a scam. The article mentions a uh, personal finance expert and it seems like the author, you know, they just really don't like, you know, this person or their methods and stuff like that, which, you know, it's your right to like or not like somebody or anything like that. But, um... You know, I'm in the personal finance industry. And so, of course, my answer is going to be no, I don't think the personal finance industry is a scam. Now, with that being said, do I feel like everybody that's in the personal finance industry is um, up to date on everything, is realistic? Do I feel like everybody's authentic? No, I don't. But that's just any industry, any like big thing, like, Everybody is not going to be like 100%. And 
it's always different strokes for different folks, like always. So no, I do not think the personal finance industry is a scam. I do feel like, you know, there's somebody out there for everybody. And I feel like most of those in the personal finance industry, most educators like myself, we are really out here trying to give information and, you know, just be, you know, have information, be authentic, just provide different, you know, examples, different data, just different ways um, for people to learn about personal finance and to improve their personal finances. We ain't out here trying to, you know, make you rich a do, you know, um, get rich quick schemes. It's things to improve your finances, right? And just to reach financial freedom. Because, and that really starts mentally. That doesn't even start just with, um, you know, she talks about this coffee thing in the article. It don't even start there. It starts like mentally, really. And so, no, I don't think it's a scam. But again, like I said, I do feel like it, you know, you really have to, research the people that you're following and just their methods because even like Dave Ramsey and I wasn't gonna name like names of anybody which he's not the person that she's talking about in the article at all but even with him people follow him but it seems a lot of people say well oh I like this thing that he talks about so I use that but I don't agree with this so I don't do that and that's fine you know listen to what people have to say take in the information Take what you need and put back what you don't need and keep it moving. But it's all really just there to help you, right? In this article, the author talks about um, people being shamed for buying coffee from personal finance experts, right? So I know a lot of times when we're talking about budgeting and just saving money and stuff like that, we say, you know, if you stop buying coffee every single day, you could put that money in savings. And of course, you know, you want your coffee, but I get the fact that, okay, you know, you want to buy these things and that's fine. But at the same time, there is some truth in the fact that if you cut back on buying the coffee and you take that money and use it for something else, it could really help you. Now, I'm always to the fact of when I fact, but I go to the, I can't think of the word right now. I go from the point of view of, okay, I drink coffee five times a week, right? And I know I need to cut back or I know I need to handle some other stuff financially, but I'm not going to say, I'm not going to drink coffee at all for, you know, at all in a week. Because it's probably not realistic. I, I like going to Starbucks. Honestly, I went to Starbucks today. However, what I may say is, okay, I'm just going to budget a certain amount of money for the month. And then maybe only go to um, Starbucks three out of five days a week or two out of five days a week. And then that $5 that I did not spend on Starbucks for like three days, that's $15. Then I can take that money and put it towards something else. And it's funny because I was um, paying my own student loan bill. And uh, one of my student loan companies, they are great because they have everything kind of mapped out. Like what you're paying your principal, your interest and your um, like how much interest is occurring daily. Right. So I can just log in and I just see it all right there. The other finance um, person, not personal finance, the other student loan company, 
not like that at all. Like, they don't even know what the heck they're taking out and why. But anyway, so when I logged on to make my payment, I see that it says I'm being charged almost $5 a day in interest. So, like, then I read this article and she's talking about the whole coffee situation. And I'm like, shoot, honestly, the $15 that I don't spend going to Starbucks, I can take that and put it towards my interest on my loan to pay that daily, like do $5 a day or whatever to pay that. So it just won't be sitting there, you know, occurring. Right. So that's what I can take to do that. And then that would eventually help me on that end of things. And then I was talking to um, Elena of Financial Demix and we were talking about the whole situation and she was even like, okay, that $5, you can take that and call your um, student loan company and put $5 toward the principal on your loan. Okay, see that thing start coming down eventually. And when you keep practicing these things and you keep doing it, eventually you do see some type of um, benefit. But I feel like the author just like, oh, you know, they're shaming us. Don't buy this. Don't buy that. Not every personal finance pers- uh, expert does that. A lot of us are very realistic and we know you want to buy stuff. You know, you want to do things. But at the same time, if you're really trying to get your financial life in order, if you really want to reach financial freedom, there are going to be some sacrifices. There are going to be some fa- sacrifices. And you don't have to go straight cold turkey and not buy coffee every week or not, you know, um, ever go to the movies or ever do certain things that cost money. But it is good to be, you know, to make it make sense at the same time if you are trying to hit a goal. Okay, and in this segment, I do not feel like the personal finance industry as a whole is a scam. I do not feel that everyone, well, I know for a fact that everyone in the personal finance industry is not out here saying, oh, every American can get rich. Um, that is definitely not true. I do, I know she says in an article, I'm not buying coffee won't magically buy you a house. That is true. It will not magically buy you a house. No, but I do believe that not buying coffee or cutting back on buying coffee will help for you to get the house, you know, your down payment and just, you know, things for the house, something. It'll help, but it won't magically get you the house. No. So um, just really look at the personal um, finance experts that you're following and, you know, take the good things and take what you need and then put what you don't need back and keep it moving. Like, it's that simple. It is personal. It's personal finance. And everybody's journey is different. Some people's journey you will relate to and some people's journey you want. Even on my journey of trying to like pay down my student loans and stuff, um, years ago when I was in some of my other jobs or whatever, of course, you always hear stories about people paying off their student loans. Like, oh, I paid off my student loan $200,000 in like 16 months or whatever. And you're like, what? Can I do that? But then I'll read the story and I'm like, oh, like this is not good for me because I'm not in that situation, you know? So that doesn't make what they're saying wrong. It worked for them. It's just a simple fact that I, it's not going to work for me. So I would need to, you know, really look at and research for people who are in similar situations as I am in 
that have also paid off their student loans. And when I find that it's more realistic for me, I can use that, you know? So you have to think about it in like those terms. But that is that and we are moving on. Today's topic is emotional spending. Emotional spending is defined as spending money to improve your mood. I have been guilty of this. I didn't know it at first, but as I reflected and saw where my money was going as a result of budgeting, I realized that I was spending unnecessarily. I would get stressed at work and then go to the store and buy something. I would be relieved and feel happy after I made my purchase. I was happy that I was able to get the item. And at the same time, whatever was going on or it happened at work was kind of, it was off my mind. After that high of making a purchase were off, I would then find myself in the state of buyer's remorse, which is like the worst feeling ever. Um, I would sit and wonder why I made the purchase. Did I really need the item? And the answer would usually be nope. I would then justify myself further because I never made like really outrageous purchases. I wasn't spending hundreds of dollars at once. Just, you know, $5 here, $3 there. But emotional spending contributed to my credit card debt because it was never planned. And I always thought that I could and would pay it back. After realizing that I was an emotional spender, an emotional spender, I began to be more self-aware and make better choices. I still get the urge to spend when I'm in an emotional state. I now check myself mid-thought and think about my goals. And, you know, I think about my needs and wants. If it's not in the plan, then I don't need it. Here are five ways that you can stop emotional spending. Number one, stick to your money plan. If it's not in the budget, then don't get it. It can be that simple. Sticking to your plan will always be a benefit to you and your financial future. Number two, stop spending when you are in an emotional state. Example, sad, stressed, excited. While some may binge on ice cream when they're stressed or sad, others binge at the store. These are quick fixes and will not help your waistline or your finances. Even if you have the extra money to spend, spend it on things that would be beneficial in the long run. People also spend when they are excited. You just got a call that you got a new job and you celebrate by going to the mall to buy some shoes. Now, you do not need these shoes and you didn't plan or have any thoughts of buying shoes until you rolled past the mall or heard an ad on the radio about the shoes right before you right after you got the call about the new job this purchase places you in the state of euphoria on top of the excitement about the job these shoes have nothing to do with your new job and you probably will only wear two out of the four that you just brought number three stop trying to impress yourself or others just because someone else got something doesn't mean that you need to have it you can wait to get that thing or even plan to get it in the future. There are a couple of things that I want right now, but I refuse to get them because they do not align with my goals at the moment. In the future, if those things are still available and still a part of my goals, I'll make the purchase. 
If not, then I'll leave it where it is. Number four, stick to your list when you are out shopping. When we think of shopping lists, we're usually thinking about like a grocery list. But shopping lists are good for a Target and Macy Runs also. Make a list before you go shopping and only get those items. I had to change some of my wardrobe last year and I made a list of the types of clothes and shoes that I needed. When I went to shop, I only looked for those things. It was definitely hard. I saw a couple of things that I wanted, but I left them where they were because they were not on the list. Number five, practice the 24-hour rule. Now, the 24-hour rule is a real practice of needs versus wants. The 24-hour rule is when you wait a whole day before making a purchase. It's a great tip, and I will not lie and say that some things that I wanted were gone or not on sale anymore when I went back. But at the same time, if it was meant to be, then it would have been there when I went back or it would go back on sale or it could be that I just did not need it in the first place. Right. Sometimes I even forgotten about things like I see like, oh, I want it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to wait to get it. And then I forget about it, which means I really didn't need it at all. So that's a 24 hour rule. And with that rule, it applies for wants and things that are not that you have not budgeted for. So, no, stopping emotional spending will not happen overnight. Again, stopping emotional spending will not happen overnight. However, I'm sure that the five things that we've discussed will help you decrease your emotional spending, and then eventually stop it all together through self-awareness. We have reached the end of the podcast. This probably is the longest podcast that I have recorded thus far. Let me know if you like your podcast long or short, like short and to the point, or if you don't mind like a longer podcast. I like both, but let me know what you um, feel about that. And then let me know how you feel about this episode. Like, how was it? What do I need to change? And all of that. Um, let your girl know. The blog post that I just read was called Five Ways to Deal with Emotional Spending. It is on DeemsAreFrugal.com. Go over and take a look at it when you get a chance and share it. And while you're over there, Look at on the right column when you're on the website, and I have a couple of courses that you can take. Um, one is 21 Day Spending Detox. That is the most recent one. Then we have Diva Slay Budget and Mindset course and the Diva Slay Goal Setting course. So take a look at those while you're over there. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you all or... Talk to you all later.